and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hi everyone and welcome to another awesome Q&A this morning. I am absolutely blessed to be joined by, by Sally, Eid. Sally Eid. Hi Sally. Hi Sally. Hello. Um, I can hear myself back, so I think possibly somehow, have you got me on speaker or something? <laughs> no, it's stopped now. That's fine. It's all good now. I can't hear myself anymore. It's all fine. Good. Don't know what happened there. We've been chatting for a little while before this went live, and as soon as we go live, suddenly I hear myself. A bit scary. Okay, anyway, so um, Sally and I met a few, well, quite a few years ago now, actually, um, when I was having... I had a lovely mare who I just, I don't know, I just knew something wasn't quite as it should be. And I heard about someone called Mary Wanless and I looked her up and I found this lady called Sally Eid who was trained by her. So I got in touch and we've known each other ever since. So um, welcome, Sally. It's lovely to have you on. And we're going to be chatting today about all sorts of things to do with rider and horse biomechanics and also many other aspects of what you do as well. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Sally. Introduce yourself to our amazing viewers and listeners. Um, so I have been in horses ever since I was a very small child. And, um, I think in my early years and as a teenager and a young adult, riding was something that came very naturally to me and, um, lessons weren't something that you had. You just, I just cracked on and I actually did, you know, I was very quite successful as a young person. Um, then I get, I suppose the big shift happened for me when I had my children and I came back to serious riding sort of in my early 30s and realized I'd been deconstructed <laughs> by the process of having kids and all of the natural things that I did weren't there anymore um and as as always happens the universe um helps you along with this and I had bought a horse and I was really struggling to ride her I I couldn't work out why I couldn't keep her um what why she was always clearing off with me I, I was having problems on the ground and that was about the same time as the whole natural horsemanship evolution happened which was sort of 98 to 2002 when there started to be a lot more out there and I um ended up as a at a clinic that someone recommended me to go to and I actually had no idea who was teaching the clinic and um it turned out to be a very, very um, skilled teacher who was a student of Mary Wanless. She, her name's Anna Gordon Redmond, and she was a, um, um, I want to say McTimony, but it's not that. Um, um, anyway, she was a body worker, um, a very good teacher. And within half an hour, she sorted out all my problems, but she'd not sorted them out by shouting at me or talking to me. She'd got her hands on my body. Alexander technique, that's it. She'd got her hands on my body and moved me around and given me feelings that I couldn't get from someone talking to me. And then she explained things in a completely different way. And I was so relieved to get this input into my body. And it kind of reminded me of the stuff I did when I was a child that I, I sort of burst to tears within half an hour of, of being in front of her. And, um, I was so impressed and I enjoyed it so much that I thought I, I want to get more into this. So um, probably for about 
five or six years, I was just a student. I just learned how to get my body to work um, well in a, in a way that um, had a big influence on the horse. And then I um, got curious about becoming a teacher. So I studied it deeper and then I got accredited. And whilst it's an umbrella for me um, as a way of working, and, it, and it's very nice to have someone's work to draw on and work with. What it really meant for me was that I, st- I went out into the world as someone who wanted to change how learning happens in the riding arena. So that rather than being frustrated or rather than your horse being frustrated or rather than um, um, you thinking you're not um, capable of doing something, that actually with the right style of teaching and the right um, approach, anyone can do anything. So um, we're all capable of learning. Uh, the chunks of talent that make us a good rider and those chunks are physical chunks emotional chunks mental chunks um yeah so during this time I sort of whenever I go to buy a horse it always goes wrong (laughs) something always it always goes lame after about six months so my focus has been on um my teaching and my coaching and in the background I always have a horse of my own at the moment I've got a veteran that I have on loan who's doing quite well just at ordinary low-level affiliated dressage um, but I also really enjoy competing and I kind of like to use myself as a laboratory so I'll, I'll um, definitely try and walk my talk in terms of you know how my body and my brain reacts to stuff when I'm out teaching um, when I'm out competing and riding and then bring that to my teaching as well as ongoing studies and then in the background of my of my teaching, which is probably about 80 percent of my work, I also um, have some healing experience and a qualification in healing. And then on the other side, equine facilitated human development work. So I can bring those together to really sort of break down everything that's happening. And now what I'm really motivated by is. um helping people solve problems with their horses in a, in a way that when I've left, they've got those chunks and they can recreate them and they understand them. And it ties in with their, their ethics and how they want to be around their horses. And it also ties in with scientific um, basis of behavior of equine behavior and, and how things work on that level so that um, it's an all round service for getting people where they want to be. Wow. Amazing. And it, it really is holistic from that you are looking at, at every angle. That's what holistic means, isn't it? You're looking at that that partnership, those those two beings from every angle to get the best out of both of them, whatever that might be. And um, one of the things you were telling me about the other day is that you were working with some Grand Prix riders um, recently. And because sometimes people think of this and they go, oh, well, you know, that's not relevant to me or what have you. But actually, it really is every level that can benefit from mm this sort of thing. So tell us a little bit about the experience that you had recently working at that level and what you discovered and what you enjoy about it as well. Yes, um, I, I have a, um, a client who wanted some help with her biomechanics and um, um, she's competing at quite a high level and it was really nice to work with her because she could see the um, benefit of um, some making some changes in her body that might possibly get overlooked by a traditional dressage trainer because they very much focus on the horse 
and what you know what the, the very interesting experience that came from it was I went to Vale View uh, two weeks ago to the high profile dressage show with her to help her out and um, for me it was like um, standing and watching the collecting ring was an extremely interesting place to be because I got to look at lots of bodies lots of riders going around and look at them come in and start their warm-up and how things happened and there were some people who seemed to be sitting on the horse as if they weren't actually doing anything but <laughs> their horses were going beautifully but their bodies were really in terms of biome the biomechanics that we would promote as being good their bodies naturally were there and then the the, the also they were very relaxed and it's interesting because they looked as if they were doing nothing they looked relaxed if you went if you went to poke their body for sure there was a great deal of tone and a great deal of strength happening and a great deal of balance and then perhaps in comparison um there were some that looked horses that looked more stressed riders that looked more stressed and they were out of balance physically out of balance and um Really, it was just a very interesting way of look of, of comparing um, different ways of being on horses, and at that high level, you know, it, it, you would expect to see those kind of issues, perhaps at a riding club warm up arena. But this was warming up for the pre Saint George, and there was still the same things happening. But um, obviously, you know, the people were a lot more experienced, but the same issues were going on. So I took a lot from that that it's not about, um, um, you know, no matter where you are, whether you're hacking or you're competing at a high level, um, you know, your, your, your performance is, is everything, really. Mega, and one of the things that you mentioned is this concept of talent. It's been spoken yeah. a couple of times. So just tell us a little bit about, um your constructs around what talent is and and the interesting part is you you say how we can replicate talent and that's an oxymoron to some people within themselves like what do you mean replicate talent either you're talented or you're not you know um and this is always I've, i'm a proper geek when it comes to the psychology of talent so tell us a little bit about what you mean when you're talking about you know replicating talent how do you do that um well everything everything that we do is made up of little component chunks. And when you're talented, what it normally means is you, you know, uh, you popped out the womb able to do it and you don't know quite how you do it, but you just do it. So I have some areas of talent um, that um, I popped out the womb with, which I have broken down, which has been very interesting. Um, so, and the worst thing for a talented person is, is that you, you don't really want to break down what they're doing into junk, chunks for them because they may not be able to reconstruct it. But it's quite common in sports like golf and tennis to go away from your match for a while and deconstruct yourself and reconstruct yourself. And there's an awful lot known about the components of those sports, about what makes what the physical aspect of what makes it really good. Um, in riding, we don't tend to deconstruct so much. People, we, we go to good people. For instance, we might, you know, um, Horse, Horse and Rider magazine asked Charlotte de Jardin to write an article about good transitions. And she will write down what she does in her conscious foreground when she's doing a transition. 
but she won't write be able to write down the stuff that's happening subconsciously because it's not part of her remit to deconstruct herself for more novice riders she's just giving her her top tips so we're kind of ending up with in the horse world we're ending up with lots of sound bites from talented riders about their conscious foreground of what they're doing but we haven't got their conscious subconscious sorry their their subconscious background of their talent because they can't tell us however Riding is very much about it's about physics and balance and muscle tone and all sorts of things. And, and this is where, you know, I'm very lucky to have the work of Mary Wanless to draw on. And she she's been motivated from a physics and science background to really break riding down a bit like a golf coach would break a golf swing down. And it is possible to learn. It's it's totally possible to learn what um, um, what, uh, what more talented riders are doing. The trouble is it comes as a bit of a shock. <laughs> and often when I teach people the chunks of talent, they're like, really? That that much effort, that much strength, that much tone, that much breathing, that much stability? Yeah, that much. And so, you know, um, because the good rider looks like they're doing nothing. But if you think about it logically, if you did nothing, you wouldn't be able to do a PF. <laughs> you just get bounced off. So they must be doing something. okay so i was doing some bits in the background there so you so so the the interesting part is that you're talking about the the concept of um in the language that i use conscious sorry unconscious competence which is you you're able to do something but you don't really know how and how does, when we talk about coaching and learning about riding and developing skills, how does unconscious competence get in the way and hinder good coaching, in your opinion? Unconscious competence. How does it hinder coaching? Um, I think... From my perspective, if I know someone is unconsciously competent at something, that means they're doing it well and they don't know they're doing it, I'll leave it alone. And I'll look what we normally work on it, what I'll normally say to riders is where do things start to go wrong for you? What what are you riding? What is it you're riding? At what point in your dressage test or in your schooling or in your hacking or in your groundwork, where do you hit a problem? And they'll say where the problem is. And then I and then then it's kind of a little investigation into how much of you how much are you aware of what you're doing right? How much are you aware of what you're doing wrong? And then and then coming in with the chunks that they need to support where they're to support their unconscious competence. I'd say it's more difficult to deal with unconscious incompetence. Because that can be really hard. Some people, um, some people believe they're crap all the time, as we know. And um, that, you know, I say that because we all suffer from that. So it's easy to say, um, you know, this is like that. But um, how you draw someone's attention to what's happening is um, is difficult. Um, 
Uh, I might not have worded that very well. <laughs> I was talking about myself there. No, no, that's fantastic. And I think it's really key, though, isn't it, that, you know, most of the time a rider will go to a coach because they want to improve, right? Yeah. Funnily enough, or solve an issue or problem. Or they might not have a problem, but they've got a goal. They want to get somewhere. And um, for the coach to understand that the coach has got a whole load of unconscious competence, i.e. the coach has got a whole load of, they'll say half halt. Well, what? Yeah, we won't, we won't get into that right mm. now. Or leg on. Or more right rain or whatever right outside rain well outside rain to inside leg or inside leg to outside rain you know what does that really mean when we break it down and um so they'll be saying things and and so they're they're shouting out things and then at the same time the rider themselves has got the whole levels of what they're good at that they don't realize what they realize they're not good at what they don't know they're not good at because they don't know it yet and all this other stuff and it's the connecting the two isn't it that actually I would say as a coach that you're really very good at doing is understanding and connecting the two by this concept of breaking it down. Yeah. Yes, that is um, breaking it down. Just just thinking back what you were saying there about. um, um, Go on, you'll have to ask me the question again because I jumped in too early. That's fine. Okay. Too excited. Too excited. Yeah, exactly. No, that's cool. So so you've got the coach operating from a level of conscious competence where they they know what they're good at and what have you, but a whole level of unconscious, especially if they're a really good rider. They're not necessarily a great coach. They're a really good rider because the thing that sometimes hinders great coaching is not knowing why you're good at something. So you can't break it down and give it to another rider. And then you've got the rider who is have got their own levels of stuff. And you've got to kind of somehow connect the two together, haven't you? With Mm But by breaking it down so the rider can start to process it and put it into practice, how do you help the rider to do that? Um, I will get I will talk about the elephant in the room. So rather than just saying ride a half halt or, um, you know, get your horse more forward, I'll I'll get that out and pull it apart and say it looks to me like you're um, like this isn't happening. So I have a rule that if if you've asked someone to do something three times and they haven't been able to do it, that's my responsibility as coach to find out why my coaching is not enabling them to do it. It's not because that student is, um, you know, you you could think of all sorts of things that happen to students in arenas where they get insulted and made to feel bad and, and come away thinking they're not good enough and they need to try harder. I'm not I don't think I'm being paid to make someone feel like they need to try harder. I'm being paid to bring someone um, a deeper level of understanding about what they're trying to learn so that at the end of the lesson, they know exactly what they're doing. So I will um, go in and I'm, I'm, I'll go in and talk about what needs talking about. And sometimes that can be awkward for people because they've got used to putting on a bit of a veneer and being quite... Um, walled about their coaching this is the students because they are expecting people to get at them and be nasty to them or push them around a bit and I don't say that you know I I um have witnessed it I witnessed it up at Bellevue I listened to people standing inside arena insulting um, their students on their little microphones and I'm thinking how does insulting someone motivate them so um I I don't mind breaking it down. And I think we all have to we all have to be prepared to go right. If we're going to solve this problem, we've got to kind of put our egos to one side and become a team. 
And we set up something called a, a feedback loop where I tell the rider what I'm seeing the horse doing. I check in with the rider that they're feeling what I'm seeing. And then the rider tells me what they're feeling. And I tell them I'm seeing what you're feeling. So we've got this triangle going and all the time it has to be totally authentic. There has to be a shared language where we're using the same words to describe the same things. And they might not be traditional words. They might be um, words we've made up to describe something. And we have to stay um, um, clear so that we can each be. So the horse, the student and me are all exactly on the same page about something. And then it takes, I guess, a degree of um, confidence and courage on the part of, me, of myself just to say, you know, this is how it is. Because no one wants to have a lesson and be told things are OK when they're not OK. And um, yeah, so I'd say that's that's my my USP is um, I do that. But I also do it in a very kind and empathic and supportive way so that if you can't ride, if you if you're really struggling, um, you know, we'll fix it. Awesome. And it is that team sport. And I love the idea of that feedback loop. I think that's wonderful that, you know, it is about checking in with all three of you because it's three people in that system at that moment. So let's go on to a little bit then about we, we talked about this word biomechanics, which I think nowadays is more accepted in the equine world. But certainly years ago, when you started looking into it, it was like, what you what? what is this biomechanics thing? Because I think traditionally instructors would sit and instruct the rider with by telling them what they needed to be doing in that split second to get the horse moving a certain way mm. and very much focused on the horse's way of going. So tell us a little bit about your experience of biomechanics, your understanding of what it is as a concept and how it really helps you to improve riders and make such differences. Because I can honestly say when I met you and you started to instruct me years ago, you made some changes to me that made massive differences to my horse. And I was like, whoa, this stuff's crazy. What's this all about? Like, this is amazing. Um, and loved it. And and since then have, have always sort of thought, well, is it that I need my horse to be doing something or is it that something in me needs to change? Which, which are we looking at here? So tell us more about what biomechanics is then. How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> like, I've got about th five big paragraph answers to that question. Um, what is biomechanics? I think that it goes back to, first of all, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that good riding is highly skilled and it's sold to us as a relaxing pastime. And it first of all, you've got to wrap your head around the idea that, that good riding is, is a, a very... Um, it's a skill like no other sport out there. There's no other sport that really compares with the mental and physical challenges of good riding. Then you've got to look at um, the basic fundamentals of um, what happens when we get on a horse. You've got a horizontally balanced skeleton of the horse and then a vertically balanced rider. And if you just forget everything that's put out there about what riding is and just think of the simple challenge of how do you stay stable and upright on a moving object? So if you just put yourself on a skateboard or a unicycle and think, how am I going to stay stable on this without falling forwards or backwards? And you haven't got pedals and you haven't got handlebars. 
Um, that's the kind of challenge that's on your body. But once we're on the horse, of course, we've got reins and we've got a saddle and we've got stirrups and stuff. And so we each of us comes at our riding through the lens of our own current physical ability. So my model that I work from is, is that the first thing we've got to get to is where the rider is responsible for their balance and their body weight. And that comes as a shock to a lot of people that they're not responsible for their balance and their body weight. And there's a few simple ways of just testing that. And um, then it then it kind of goes to looking up, you know, when you see um, a good example of a horse and rider moving together. From then on, really, I start teaching those chunks. Um, and if you think of the horse out in the field just grazing, he's absolutely fine, you know. And then you put a saddle and bridle on, and he's probably lost 20% of his resources just from wearing a saddle and bridle. Then you put a rider on board that horse. And although we all think, oh, he should be fine, you know, he looks okay. That horse has then probably lost between 40 to 60% of his resources to stay balanced once you're on board. And this is at the root cause of everything to do with um, steering, stiffness, hollowness, uh, rushing, um, not, not going in front of the leg, um, you know, all manner of little issues that you might get commented on if you did a dressage test or all of the things that might not make your hack so comfortable or might make you worry because you don't feel safe. They are all down to balance and stability. And so that's the first thing. And um, what really motivates me is when I meet a client for the first time, the first thing we do is a bit of a, of a um, before and after. So we take a photo of where they're at and then I'll reorganize them. So they're lined up shoulder, hip, heel and get them to a place. And this, this is really often quite a, a scary moment for people because as I reorganize them in the saddle and that's hands on, I'm not talking them through it. I'm repositioning them into neutral spine and getting their pelvis straight and everything. They feel really weird. They've gone from their, their comfortable place where they thought they were okay. Although mentally they know they're not okay because the horse isn't going well to the new place. And then we need a new photograph to say, this is what you look like. So some of the other biomechanics experts out there will be using dots on the body and jumpers with stripes and things like that. And they're all really valid. Um, I tend to like to go on the feedback of the horse and work a bit closer with the rider to get them to really embody their changes. Um, because, you know, you can't make these changes unless um, unless you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. But. I mean, I could talk for hours. Jenny, you might need to sort of steer me in the right direction here with which aspect of biomechanics. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, well, that was good. That was a good overview of the fact that actually it's about two bodies aligning to get the best mm. and how you align the rider body to help the horse align its body to be at its best in the way that it's working. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and, and out there in the wider world, you know, um, We've got some really good examples of that. And, and we're very lucky at the moment that our top riders in the UK, and I, I am focusing on dressage because that's probably where my eyes tend to fall most of the time. But when Charlotte Dujardin was riding Vallegro, we had a very, very good role model in front of us of good biomechanics. And I'm not, 
I'm I'm talking about looking at her body and how it sits on the horse. I know that everyone will have different views on different riders, but coming from where I'm coming from, I, I'm not looking at it through a political lens. I'm looking at the meaty, juicy, scientific chunks of different riders. And um, so, she, you know, there's some really good examples of good riding out there for us to see. Um, yeah. Okay, so one of the things that you touched on there was that you physically realign the rider so that they mm. can really feel what's going on for them. And having um, worked with you, having done some stuff with Mary, having done things with other biomechanics coaches and things as well, um, I know that the tiniest adjustment can feel huge. Mm. And all you've done is adjusted someone a centimetre back, forward, up, down, left, right, whatever that might be, but it feels huge. And the thing is, the, the constant question in our sport is how do you coach with eyes on a rider that needs to understand feel? So how do you, um, when you're working with a rider, what are the key elements of the way that you do biomechanics that mean that they are able to process and feel it, which means they can do it as much as possible with you when you're not there as well? Because, mm. you know, there are the coaches that you get their voice in your head and and then when you get to a problem if that voice isn't in your head giving you the answer that you need in that moment you feel lost but if you've got a coach whose questions are in your head or who who you understand the feel you're going for you're more likely mm. to be able to replicate that stuff. so tell us a little bit about that kind of ethos that i know you've got as well. so so your question is um you just have to repeat the question again because you, you did the question and then I... I did the question and then I get unconscious competence. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is how, I mean, the simple question is how do you teach someone feel? All right, yeah. So they can yeah, go away it. and try it out for themselves. Um, right. So this is really a really interesting question because we all exist on a spectrum of feel. And some of us at one end of the spectrum feel lots and lots and lots of sensations all the time. And we're kind of bombarded with sensations, physical sensations. So you're getting lots of data from your body about where you're sitting and what you're doing and what your horse is doing. And on the other end of the scale, we've got people for who physical sensations are more um, vague and distant and they aren't perhaps kinesthetic. So the first thing we have to identify is and um, where are we? Where are we on that scale? Because if the horse world is pumping out lots of information about what things should look like and feel, how do we know what we're feeling compared to what someone else is feeling? So helping someone understand can be a great relief to them that the reason you're not feeling this is A, because you don't feel much or B, you've got so much data coming in, you can't disseminate the feel you're supposed to be getting. So I... You know, and this would be going into sort of some deeper levels of coaching about how you gently dust away and investigate where this is for someone. Because once you've helped them find that out, then you start marrying up things that have happened in the horse with so causes and effect moments. The horse did that. What did you notice in that moment? What did you notice happened to your body? What did you notice happened to your seat bones? What happened to the surface you were sat on, to the left long back muscle or the right long back muscle? What did you feel in the rhythm and the tempo? What did you feel going on here? So we're, we're developing a vocabulary. And for some people, 
they might need that depending on their learning style. They might want that said a lot more verbally. And then once you set up that up, I can just be a verbal thing. Um, and they can relate it to themselves because now they've kind of got like a, um, a benchmark inside. Other people, I'll pause them. I'll keep pausing them in the arena and just going back up and just recorrecting them because they need that kinesthetic input to put them back in the right place. And then you've got, you know, if we just take, for instance, sitting on vertical, okay, and for argument's sake, I'm always putting people on vertical, never tipping forward, never tipping back. We're on vertical. How do you know you're on vertical um, without mirrors? And there's a few ways you know you're on vertical. One is just to look down your front. <laughs> and it's really interesting to have a quick glance down your front when you're riding around and you go, oh, my God, I'm tipping forward or, oh, I'm tipping back. So that's one quick way. And often when I'm working with riders and, they, and they're unsure about the fact of where they're sitting, I'll say, just have a look. And they're like, oh, <laughs> is it that easy? And then, of course, you've got like I'm just so everyone can see, I'm sat in a saddle now. So when you're sat in your saddle, um, you have got a sitting surface. So um I think of it like a potato print. If you remember back at nursery school when you cut out bits of potato and you printed them on paper, your your underside makes a potato print. And you want the optimum potato print in the saddle is one where you've got a deep seat. So your pelvis is sat square in the saddle. And I think here to teach feel, what we've got to be willing to learn is some internal focus. We've got to bring ourselves inside our bodies and actually process for instance, when I'm sat in my saddle, what do I feel when I'm sat correctly? How much of my pelvic floor is down? Where are my seat bones? What are the muscle pads around my seat bones doing? Where are my thighs? And the real challenge about riding in learning feel is it's, an, it's a sport that's both external in the fact that you have to be aware of your environment. You have to be processing where you're going, what the horse is doing. And it's also hugely internal and a, a, a big piece of the talent that we need to learn is processing our internal experience within our body whilst we're on the horse. So where am I breathing? What does my diaphragm feel like? Um, what's the pressure like on the stirrups? Where, um, what's the, the rain pressure doing? Am I pulling? Am I pushing? And And these are just sound bites I'm giving out. They're not you know, for each person, they're all different because all our bodies are completely unique and will do lots of different things. So teaching feel is really about, again, um, going into, you know, um, getting a bit personal about your insides <laughs> because um, that's where it's happening. Um, and once you've got once you've got a few cause and effects going, it's a bit like the cause and effect of changing gear in the car. You're like, yes, I've got it. Then you start to build more cause and effects and more cause and effects on top of each other. And then you you go, oh, I can feel that this horse is, is doing X and I know that my body must have done X. So um, um, I know that if I'm losing my horse out through his left shoulder, that um, I've lost my left side probably. Um, and I know how to put it back again. 
which would be normally would be described as um, quick um, outside rain, do something with your outside rain, um, you know, stop, stop the stiffness. But for me, for me, then the fix is something completely different on the internal muscle structure of my left side. Awesome. So to me, that sounds like um, the way that you work with people is that they have questions that they're able to ask themselves about specific elements of their body that they can check in on when they're riding on their own. And they've got what we call a kinesthetic, which is a posh word for feel. Um, we've got a feel to it, potentially a visual to it and an effect to it. Mm. So an outcome. And that's how you help people to go and ride when you're not there in the way that they want to be doing it. Yeah. Cool. It has to be tied into. Um, and so I, I guess we also have to break down some of the common misconceptions about what, what is a horse doing when it's going well? Because most riders, 98% of riders are hugely visual about the head and neck in front of them, i.e., my horse's head and neck is down and round bingo <laughs> and that's me included you know if i if i'm in a competition and Bill, billy's head comes up i'm like oh get it down quick <laughs> because that's me in my b game suddenly and i'm panicking um so um what we have to do is go a step back in evolution of things the visual check is the secondary check. It's the it's the feel. It's the checking in on the horse's body. So so it, um, if a horse is round and through, its back will feel different. Its back will feel stuffed and pumped and up. And that information isn't out there about how to create that and how to get that to happen because um, it isn't. It just is not routinely taught. We tend to use school movements, um, shoulder in and, and transitions and other things to try to get the horse to lift its back and come through. But there are specific skills to how you sit on a horse, to how you allow that to happen. So um, um, rather than what I'm creating from the start is um, for things to go well, it has to feel a certain way. And then we're logging in those we're logging in those feels. Um, if that was a question, I've got, I got lost in my own excitement again. Oh, that was lovely. I love it when you get lost in excitement. That's when the nuggets of genius come through. So that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what I was trying to find out from yeah. you is how you connect the two, how you connect the effect of what is going on in your horse with the rider being able to work out what their body must have done or changed. Mm. Now, sometimes, go on. Yeah, well, that, that means... Um, when I see the horse making changes, I tell the rider, um, did you feel that? And I think um, I know the difference between someone who's telling me, yeah, yeah, I felt it when they didn't. <laughs> and someone who was like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, I really felt that. <laughs> and, um, you know, if I, it's my job to get someone, say they were on the end of the spectrum where they didn't feel much. It's my job to find them a tiny feel. And the tiny feel grows from that. And that's how we're teaching talent because we kind of have in the riding world this saying, you either have talent or you don't. But if you can feel one little thing, in a week's time, you can feel 10 little things and then you'll feel more and more and more. And if you're on the other end of the scale and you're feeling everything and you can't, disseminate what means what 
if you can get quiet enough to know what's important in terms of information coming from your horse's body and your body and focus on that one thing, you're, you're, you know, then you gradually work out from there as well. So, um, so yeah. Okay. So my next question then is there are a lot of people that will say my horse can't do something or my horse has got bad confirmation whatever bad confirmations but you know or my horse is restricted in some way or it can't do it or it's always gone like this you know all of that kind of thing um what are your kind of thoughts on when let's call it blame i it, well it is blame essentially but that just sounds quite harsh when but when the focus is on what the horse is capable of doing or not and not so much the rider what's your kind of thoughts on how you get into that and what you do when those kind of scenarios arrive because you must have come across people that said oh yeah no they can't do that um well um first of all we've got to look at um is it realistic i mean that's just a straightforward thing um you know just in terms of the horse's um age and development and physical fitness because that's an easy an easy box to tick and say oh look you know he's just not quite ready for this yet and often our expectations of horses are are guided by the pressure of the outside equestrian world. Then, um, then we've got to look at, um, and this is perhaps where some sort of, well, actually, you know, before that, then we'd look at um, um, how that horse's body was working in terms of injuries and stuff. And I think it's really important at that point, if a horse is struggling with something, I might sit on it myself to see because when you have people when, when we own one horse and i you know we have a horse which is different to perhaps a professional rider who has between three and eight horses to ride every day when we own one horse we get married to that horse and we get married physically and emotionally so um we begin to believe that the the physical limitations are set in stone because we can't budge them and we bring our emotional baggage and our emotional projections to that horse. And we believe stuff because of our previous emotional conditioning. And I, I, that, I find that fascinating. And that, for me, is really satisfying to be able to gently help people unpick those two subjects um, and say, look, um, you know, actually, if I get on and have a go, it it either can or it can't. So what you're either saying is gently, look, it can do it. And we just need to figure out how to get you doing it. And I can help you with that. Or, oh, my God, no, your horse can't do this. What a relief. You've been thrashing around for weeks and months. And actually, he's got, you know, three cervical vertebrae that are really locked. You, we need to get some physio or um, actually, you know, in some cases, I've worked with people and over the course of a few lessons allowed them to discover that they are doing something they're not enjoying and actually given them permission to give themselves permission to say, I'm not going to push myself or my horse to do this thing that my horses really finds horrid. <laughs> and there are horses that really don't enjoy schooling and there's horses that don't enjoy hacking. So, um, Really, I think it's it's um, I think the rapport side of things is crucial, you know, and and it's coming at it from a humble place as well in that um, we're working with something with, you know, 
good results, whether they are results, good hacking results, good relationship results, um, good competition results, come from a place of being willing to step back and look at what's happening um, in a way that isn't judgmental or critical. And um, um, I learned that from how it was done to me, <laughs> you know, how, how I was coached. That enabled me to start to grow as a person when I had that coaching done for me, where someone held me through the process of working out, why can't you do this? Um, on a more technical note, every horse out there, no matter what their confirmation or their size or, or wherever they've come from, are capable of moving well. Whether they can move one in a sand school is another question because some we underestimate the difficulty for horses of moving round in circles and squares in a sand school. So often people will say to me, he does it really well out hacking, you know, he's fine out hacking, and then in a sand school he can't do it. So that's not because the horse is stubborn or 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 difficult. It's usually because that horse is basically saying doing sit-ups in the sand school is way harder than doing um, press-ups out hacking. And it's as simple as that. Amazing. I love that. And, love that. and that comes down to the ethos that I've always had, which I often share, which is, okay, so you're, a, you're a, an amateur rider. You might be really good at it. You might want to reach for the stars. That's cool. You're an amateur rider. You don't make money from it. You're not a professional rider. Fine. So that means you've probably only got one horse. Maybe you've got a couple, but essentially you're one or two horse owners. So when it comes to your goals, you need to be thinking, okay, if I want to do it on this horse, but this horse can't, I've, either, I've got to do one or two things. I've either got to change the goal to suit me and my horse because the partnership is most important to me, or I need to change my horse to suit my goal because the goal is the most important thing to me. And it's looking at that dichotomy all the time, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and people... Um, in. It can be a scary process to go through because um, potentially as a coach, you might be bringing news to someone that you can that you project onto them. They don't want to hear. But I go, you know, I do think coaches are paid to facilitate and enable the truth of the matter to come out. And um, whether that's the truth of your position and in the saddle. And the fact that your left leg keeps sliding forwards or whether that's like you've just said, you know, enabling someone to discover where their heart really lies in their work. You know, what is it that really makes the two of you happy? Because, um, you know, when we strip away everything, all the matchy matchies and, and the, um, the things we like doing and all the other stuff and, and the whole equestrian world. At, right at the bottom, the little nugget we're looking for is joy. We're looking for joy. And um, we get joy through, you know, all of us get joy in different ways is, is what I feel. But um, funnily enough, in my observations, I think horses like there's joyful moments for horses, too. You see horses experience joy and all that's in it for them is connection. <laughs> there's nothing else else. They enjoy a, a connection with their authentic human and they are most relaxed when that human is being themselves. So, um, yeah, and that's where I got to. It, it, it sort of brings up an interesting point about the fact that I bred a horse myself. And I, before he'd even popped out of the womb, I just, you know, I had plans for him as to who he was going to be and what he was going to do. And within um, 
uh, nine months of him being backed, he said, I, I'm not good. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the horse you thought I was. I'm going to snap my leg off and <laughs> you're going to have to keep me in a field the rest of my life. Well, he didn't actually snap his leg off, but he, um, he injured himself. And I had to take a big step back and go, um, you know, I can't impose my, um, my needs and wants onto this being that doesn't want to do it. And we, we've lived happily ever after since then. And um, despite the fact I've got quite a few clients working at high levels, um, in my own equestrian world, I please myself. I do what makes me happy. Um, and I think that's, that was a scary moment for me as a coach to say, look, I'm not going to necessarily have an impressive, a current impressive competition record. I've got stuff from the past I've done. I've been, I've competed at high level in the past, but now I'm going to give permission. You know, I'm going to give myself permission just to be happy with my horses. I love that. Absolutely love that. And of course, that's completely the ethos behind Eden. You know, find your Eden. What's your bliss? What is it that you want? It doesn't matter what anyone else wants. What do you and your horses want? Well, that would just be synchronicity, wouldn't it? Because I only saw your thing the other day and we haven't talked. So, um, but you see, it it makes my life as a teacher much more fun because I'm not out there uh, trying to falsely get stuff to happen and putting sticking plasters over people's work or um, trying to subscribe to something that's not real. I'm doing I'm doing what means means something to me. Now, that doesn't mean that I automatically am able to coach every single rider in the world. Um, it means that I draw, you know, I work with people who, are on, who, you know, we each draw in our client base based on where we're at and where they're at. And um, people come in and I help them and then they move on. And then one of the most satisfying things is when you someone does perhaps move on and say, you know, I've got everything I need now. I can go to someone else and get some help. Um, uh yeah awesome thank you thank you so i think that's probably a really nice place to end actually which is so we've we've covered so much stuff we've covered you know your coaching ethos we've covered biomechanics we've touched scratched the surface of biomechanics yeah. and then you know come full circle to again what the whole thing is, is about is it's, it's about what what do you want no, what, do, what do you think you want what does everyone else want what do you want yeah. what do you want with that horse what is what is feeling good for you and, and how are we going to get you there? Because ultimately that's what it's about, isn't it? It is. And um, the, you're right there. The biomechanics, we have only scratched the surface because I could um, give someone, this is why I researched more deeply into the interaction and the relationship. I could give someone perfect um uh, but I could put them in exactly the right place and we could coach physical skills till the sun came home, came down or whatever. Physical skills are only about 30 to 40 percent, I think, of the equation. Um, if your heart and your focus and your your determination, all those other lovely, um, nice words we have around um, feeling good about what we're doing, if they're all there, you'll, you'll do well. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the riding lesson I teach, obviously we're talking about your bodies and movements and doing stuff in the school, but it's also about a much deeper level of stuff that's happening. 
and and um integrating that so that so so that you're happy <laughs> you know that's the main thing um sometimes i make people cry <laughs> yeah there's been a few tears in ours but it was all right because the cry the tears were either from frustration because i had to work through something or amazing tears because actually we broken through something and it's a good thing and you know crying's all right it's just a release of emotion isn't it you know it's perfectly in fact it's better to release it than to hold it back it's just like a you know a river if you dam it up there's an awful lot of energy behind it if you let it flow it flows it carries on it flows and that's what it is isn't it cool well thank you so so much sally it's absolutely always fascinating talking to you uh, we could geek out for hours um uh if people want to get hold of you then how do they do it um well, I have a website, um, and that is www.horseandridercoach.co.uk. Um, it's not; it's um, in need of some updates because it's not mobile friendly. But you can get my number and stuff on there. You can come to me on Facebook um, on um, just through my personal profile. I'm Sally Ede, or I've got um, Sally Ede Horse and Rider biomechanics page on facebook um and um yeah um i feel a bit i feel a bit so weird giving out my phone number but no, don't, 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 <laughs> i do fine. that in bars all the time yeah you never know who's listening to this so they can go and find it if they want to that's yeah it's all there cool. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Sally. Thank you so, so much for, you know, giving us a bit of your knowledge. We will definitely have you back for more things in the future, particularly let's get you into Eden for one of the Q&A expert clinics where people really interactive and really ask you stuff on there as well, because I think we could get we could get deep if we wanted to. I think it'd be a fabulous thing to do. So thank you so much for everything. Um, people will get in touch if they want to um, and drop you messages and things. That's really cool. And we look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Okay. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone. Who got this?